Aloha. We're on KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui, and this is the Nurse Practitioner Show, and my name is Mary Margaret Baker, and guess what? I'm the Nurse Practitioner. We're doing a whole new program today, a new, here, hello. Hi. Let me just turn this up a little bit. Let me just explain what we're doing because it's a brand new concept for our station, especially for me. What we're doing today, and I think it'll be from here on out due to our whole coronavirus uh, thing that's going on in the state, in the country, around the world. We're going to be using our phone-in for all guests, especially on this show. And with me today, I have Brooke Brown, who is the founder and the former executive director for Nakeo Amalia. And we'll get into exactly who Brooke is and what she's done. But thank you for calling in, Brooke. Can you hear me? Yes, I hear you very well. Okay. <laughs> I'm a neophyte on this little techno uh, experience. <laughs> And so I'm really happy that you're here. Tony, our, our, uh, who was on the previous show, the Doku show, showed me what to do. And so here we are. It's a new, exciting experience. Brooke, thank you Wonderful. so much for calling in. Tell me a little bit about your background, because I really don't have any idea. I grew up in Honolulu, and uh, we moved to Maui in the early 70s. And I had two children here, my son, Zadok, and daughter, Emilia. Ah, okay. um, That's where Emilia. My daughter, Emilia, right. And then years later, I was divorced and went back to the main, went not back, but I went to the mainland for graduate school. I became a clinical psychologist and practiced there for almost 20 years before I came home to Maui in 2010. Uh, That's my background. And uh, what happened was in 2012, Emilia was diagnosed out of the blue with stage four colorectal cancer. Oh my God! How and old was she? She, she was 40, 40, 40 years, forty, forty oh, years old. Oh dear! When she was diagnosed. Okay. And uh, it was horrible. And she um, did everything. She fought like mad. You know, did everything she could, but she died a few days after their son's third birthday. And. When I was on the mainland, I worked with adults, and a huge number of adults would come into my office with anxiety or depression, relationship problems that stemmed from unprocessed grief for deaths that had happened when they were children, you know, or Uh a parent had died or a sibling had died, and they'd never worked through their grief. And so after Emilia died, I was concerned about my grandson and uh, couldn't find any resources here for him and decided I'd start this program. And there's been a lot of grace around it from from its inception. And part of that was landing with the Dougie Center in Portland, Oregon, which I learned later is the gold standard in the field. And they oh, have been interesting! Helpful. And that's Dougie D U G G E. I've modeled the program on them. But it, how do you spell Dougie? D O U G Y. Oh, D O U G Y. Just in case anybody mm-hmm. in the listening audience yeah, would like the, to, or maybe there. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's Dougie Dougie dot org. Doug was a a boy. He was a pediatric patient, 
and what they what they noticed he was in a, a very serious ward and cancer as i remember and uh he would go around and visit the other kids he'd go bed to bed you know pulling his iv along with him and what the social workers noticed and the nurses noticed was that whenever he left the other kids other kids were always happier you know they they his visits were a real pick-me-up so that's where you know it started there was a social worker there that decided to start a group for these kids in her living room which oh. she did and then that grew into the dougie center I and see. They now, they now work with hundreds of ki- of people a month. Now, where did you go to graduate school? I went to the was then called the Institute of Transpersonal Psychology. Oh, in California. Mm-hmm. It was oh. in Menlo Park, and then oh. it moved to Palo Alto. And I think they've they've since changed their name. And somebody told me last year that the Japanese had bought it. I guess a lot of people wanted online learning places, and they had quite an online program. Although I was there for a residential. I know a number of people who've and, taken uh, that program and became PhDs. I know a number of people who uh, had taken that program and became doctors of psychology. Yeah. Having I mean, been was, and used was, to live in Sacramento. First, um, doctorate in transpersonal psychology in yes. the field. And it was a fabulous school. It was a fabulous experience. I loved it. So it good really for you. Great. Now we can get into na. Keiki O'Amalia. Now, how old Emilia. is your current... Excuse me? It's Emilia. 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 Oh, Emilia. Okay, Emilia. Got it. Emilia. Emilia. That's a really pretty name, right. too. And so with that experience, you started the program, and your, your grandson was three years old. And so yeah. where did it go from there? Well, that was, Emilia died in February 2014, and it hit me that I needed to do this near the end of the year. And we, Hospice Maui very kindly took us under their wing as we became our fiscal sponsor while we got our 501c3, you know, our paper yes, uh-huh. passed by the IRS so we could be a nonprofit. And we got that status in 2015. And we began our groups. Our first groups were in 2016. Where are your offices now located? We have an office that's basically it's an admin office, administrative office, in the Cameron Center. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And we don't do our groups there at this point in time. Uh, We are, Hospice Maui gives us meeting rooms there. And so we do um, a late afternoon at an evening group there. And then what was happening, Mary Margaret, was I knew what the numbers were because I could find out um, when I started this through, you know, the census and things like that. And we weren't getting nearly the number of of participants that I knew exist. So we reshaped and decided that rather than, you know, wait for people to come to us, we were going to go to where the kids were. So we started going to school. So Great. That's a, that was a brilliant turn school. of events. Yeah. Well, it, it is. It's great because we're reaching the kids. It's, right. It's, it, it's still the advantage of the evening program is that, well, I'll backtrack. Our mission as a nonprofit is to provide support to children, teens, and their families to help them heal after the death of a loved one. And this loved one can be any two-legged. You know, it can be extended ohana a parent, a sibling, it, it, it doesn't have to be a parent per se. 
but we like them, and so we require, and we work with kids that are between 3 and 18. And so when anybody comes to the evening group at hospice, we require an adult. And that is fabulous because that way there are two groups that meet concurrently. The adults meet in one room and the kids meet in another room. And so this way the adults get the support they need because very few adults around here go into for therapy and they need support. They need help. And they've lost somebody as well. It's it's a huge loss. And Mm -hmm. for so many, it seems like we more statistically, it makes sense in this age group, but more men die than women. And so we get a a huge number of single moms. Suddenly their husband has died. That's one income less than the family. There are multiple children in the household. These women are overwhelmed. It's, it's, I just, I'm amazed that they even make it to us. And so they'll bring the kids in, and it's great because then they get support from their peers, which is really nice. But what the other benefit about that is so many kids don't talk or won't talk to their parents because they feel they cannot. Either well, they may also they say, feel that they to my mom. Well, they may I also crying. They may also they, feel they, that they don't want to burden their parents. Well, that's right. Yeah. And they might hear mom crying at night in her bedroom. Right. And they don't want to add to her sadness. Or it may be a situation where their parents had were estranged and perhaps the person that died was abusive either to the surviving parent or to them. Exactly, and yeah. so they are not um if if a if a woman's husband had been beating her, she's not going to feel fondly towards this man, this husband, or so maybe even not very not sad to her, because they'll feel like no, they can't talk freely about their dad, and they have their own relationship with him. Now, how so do you di- let me wait? Let, let's stop here for a second. How do you divide up the groups, and is it once a week? And who is your basic referral source? So, no, are teachers your referral source? No, most of our refer. Well, I'm going to div- I'm going to divide that into two things. For our hospice groups, um, most of our referrals, mm, a lot come from hospice. Some come from uh, professional offices, uh, like, like doctors' offices, where a child is having social, some social workers or agencies, because mm-hmm. there are just no services. Uh, Lily Okalani Trust has a group that meets monthly. And they're also modeled after the Dougie Center, as it turns out. But they're own, they can only work with people who are part Hawaiian, that have Hawaiian blood. So that means they can't work with anybody else. Where, and they're, you know, they're happy that people can come to us. And our services, by the way, are all free. But to go back to your question, now we're getting some people word of mouth, too, as we've gotten older. And what we have done... Ideally, we'll have three groups. You know, we'll have the littles, and we'll have middles, and then we'll have older teens. That makes perfect right now, sense, right? We've got we've we've put our three to three to six year olds on hold because the numbers went down. So right now, we've got one group that's between seven and seventeen, and it's a large room, so that they may start off together in an opening circle but then separate, you know, so that the younger ones are, might be doing an activity at one part of the room and then the teens might be sitting around talking in a circle at the other end, you know, so we're able to accommodate that. In the schools, the, the counselors are really the 
go to person because the administration often doesn't know you know who who would be eligible but the counselors have a pretty good handle on it um and well so it sounds like that when you, you started know, you really reached out to the schools and the counselors yeah. to orient them that what you yeah. were looking for and how how they could help and how you could help yes because there's so little and it's 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 sad because so many teachers are not educated in terms of children's group grief and working with these kids and for that matter even a lot of the counselors haven't had specifically haven't had grief counseling mm-hmm. so that they're they're you know they're behavioral or they're this or they're that all good people and skilled with what they do, but they don't have a specialty that's grief. Right. Um, simply now, what? Let, let's take a pause here for a second. But what's so? Let's let's take a pause here for a second. What's so important about children's grief that an entire organization has to focus on it? That is an excellent question, and let me let me nationally. They are now framing unprocessed childhood grief as a public health crisis. Wow. Okay. Good timing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And this is because if a child's grief, if a child doesn't have a way of processing their grief, it goes inside. It stays inside. They hold it. Not consciously, but it's, it's held in their bodies, in their cells, in their psyches, in their emotions. It's in there. And... It, it, it doesn't just disappear. And so down the line, it's apt to come out in terms of behaviorally problems, sleep problems, eating disorders, mm-hmm. depression. A huge number of, of children are depressed, and it's not recognized as such. Uh, they act out in classrooms, and the teachers think their behavioral problems are being, you know, being smart Alex. And in fact, it's, it's the grief that they're trying to work their way through. And when these kids grow a little older, they're, you know, they're getting into substance abuse, alcohol abuse, promiscuity, relationship problems of their own, self-harming, ultimately suicide's a problem. All these things are, not to mention just dropping out academically right? and mm, getting into a cycle of poverty. I mean, these are community health issues and problems. I see. And so one of the important things, I mean, Nakeki, just, Nakeki Amalia wants to give these kids an opportunity to work with their grief before it turns into this. And Well, that's a really good thing. And the only reason it you is. you it's knew a, about it, yeah, because you well, did you have any experience with this, with dealing with the grief during your your graduate program, or this was something because no. of your daughter and no. her death and her child that basically yeah. brought it to I the mean, foreground? Yeah, I, I I had a few peers when I was in graduate school that uh, knew that they wanted to work with grief, and so what they did is interns. They got internships at a place called CARA, which is a wonderful bereavement. It's like Hospice Maui. And they would do internships with CARA because CARA did counseling and things like this. Mm-hmm. And um, that's where they got their training. But no, this, for me, I just dove into it knowing what my experience was and have done a lot of reading and attended courses and classes and and listen, listen to the kids. Listen and, to the kids. You know, Mary Margaret, I wish I had a dollar for the number of adults who've come up to me when they hear what I'm doing. And they said, 
oh, man, where were you when I was little? And they all say the same thing. One of the huge things is that children and teens feel alone in their grief. I mean, that's huge. They feel a lot of guilt, I think, too. They what? Feel a lot of guilt. They can. They certainly can, especially if a suicide's been involved. You know, they they certainly Mm -hmm. can. They they can feel that they've been a better daughter or a better son or hadn't fought with their mom last week. All these things. All these kinds of things. They made their mom sick. Because I know I had a I had a friend. So guilt can be a thing. I had a friend who. The thing that with kids, with teens, is that especially with with teens, just because of where they are developmentally, they are not interested in what the adults have to say. So a teen might get sent to a therapist, and I'm not saying that that's not a good thing because there's some kids that need more than not cakey offers. We do not do therapy. We do not do counseling. Ours is totally peer support groups. But they, they listen to their peers. And when they're in this little community of, of peers, they don't feel alone. And it's really something, because I was at one school, the last meeting of a teen support group, and it was a pretty intimate situation in that the kids, the class, is, the class wasn't so huge that the kids were strangers to each other. And one of the young men said, you know, this has been really good because I didn't know his uncle died or I didn't know his dad died. They don't talk about it among themselves, except in the groups, because they'll, they'll say, "My, fr- I can't talk to my friends. They don't know what to say. They don't know how to talk about it, so they don't want to talk about it." Well, you know, so let's go. Very- let's go to a basic question that I think is really important. That I think people are going to be wondering is, "What is grief exactly, anyway? What is grief? Because it's something we all experience, whether we're a child, whether we're adult." But it's more... Well, I would answer that by saying grief is the consequence of loss of something or someone you love. I mean, that's my definition. And so with the I sadness mean, is related to if it. You didn't, if you didn't love your, you know, if you didn't love a person, you wouldn't grieve when they died. If you, if you didn't love your job, you wouldn't grieve, you know, if you got fired, you know, this kind of thing. But... The, the, when grief has components, it is a full body experience and it's a, it's a psychological experience. It's, our mind is involved. Our emotions are involved in that moment. Our how bodies did, are involved. How did we you deal, how did you deal with your grief when your daughter died? Pardon me? How did you deal with the grief when your daughter died? I, did several things. I I was a writer also a while back, and I I just sat at my computer journaling basically a lot, just dumping onto my computer. That was very helpful. I had a couple of people that I spoke with a lot of the time. Um, they were people that really they knew Emilia, they loved Emilia, and they could they loved me, and they were good listeners. So I was able to just you know, go over it and over it and over it again with them, which was very helpful. And I, I just pulled in. I did not want to be around people. I lay on my bed for weeks. You know, I took, I'd, I'd nap. I cried a lot. And 
I had done enough of my own psychological work that I realized this was to be gone through. It wasn't to be, I wasn't to distract myself. I needed to feel. Feel the feelings. Feel the feelings. And yeah, I mean, the, 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 you know, people will say, oh, you know, just don't go there. It'll just weigh you down, you know, get, and they'll say, get over it. Wrong. Wrong. You don't get over grief. You get. You've got to work it, baby. Work it. And, And we, yeah. And when you, and it works you because when you come out, and you will come out. I mean, it, it, it's it's the new normal. I mean, I still, it's been six years since Emilia died, Mary Margaret, and I still cry. But I don't cry for five minutes at a time. You know, I, I, I miss her terribly. But when it comes up, I, I know, this, oh, this is, this is my grief arising. And I'm with it. I feel it. I cry. I feel it in my body. And then it's. It's like a wave, you know, a wave comes in and it goes and out and it subsides. Yeah. It's, now, it's what it, like how, how would you describe the difference between how children grieve and how adults grieve? Because you've dealt That's with your grandson. Really important question. You've dealt because with your grandson and children, you've also. Adults have a brain that's mature. In other words, it's not, it, it, it's full grown. Children's brains are not mature. They haven't stopped developing till they're in their early 20s. So a child that's, let's say, three or four years old has a a mind that they have no um, sense of permanence. You know, they they don't understand death or the related concepts. Um, They think, you know, it's like, well, did, you know, um, yeah, I know mom died, but when is she coming home? You know, that is not atypical for a three or four year old. And then they get a little older, when they get more like six, seven years old, they, they're moving more into the world outside themselves, and they're getting more language skills also. And they still may be thinking, you know, fantasy wishing, they may still think that it's reversible. Um, and that's when some of them start feeling very guilty, like, oh, I should have been a better daughter or a better, better you know, son. And then by the time they're, oh, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, then they're, they're more, they, their brains can handle more logical, you know, and, and sequencing of thought. Concepts. Yeah. So here they, they'd like, they might like to see that, think that death was reversible, but they really are understanding finality. They're beginning to understand finality and permanence. And they also start wondering about, you know, how this death or this trauma is going to impact them. And, then you know when they when they get to be teens, again teens it's it's an it's another kettle of fish because their hormones are running that's developmentally they're they're changing so they can understand all these concepts and about death and and all of that. Now, let me but stop you here. Imm- let me stop you here. I want to find out how long are the sessions when a when a, a kid comes in and he's say seven years old and his parents have just gotten divorced. That's a very traumatizing event. And so how long would he be in a peer group? As long as he wants to be coming. Okay, so that's, there's no a limit, and he can keep coming nope. back and forth between the we, ages and as he yeah. gets older and yep. so on. We don't, we, don't, we, we don't limit the length of time. As we, we do appreciate it if somebody tells us when they're stopping because that helps us know how many facilitators but to have, but 
we don't have a time limit in terms of how long they can stay with us. They could stay years if they wanted. And we also don't have a time limit in terms of in relation to when the death occurred. So that there might be a child whose mom died when he was four. And it's not until he's 10 that his mother calls us and says, you know, I think my son could use your groups because they're having trouble at school with him. Right. So it, it, it's like that. Now, what we're going to do is in about a minute, we're going to take a break. And it's about a two, two and a half minute break. So what I'm going to do is you're, I want you to be stay on the line. And I'm just going to turn off your sound. And then we'll turn on this is I'm, I'm hoping this works. So I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to turn on the supporters of our show and of the uh, community media station, all our programs here, that we have rotating sponsors that sponsor our show. That's We're publicly funded 501c3. So this is a new experience. So I'm going to – we're okay, it's two, uh, 25, 225, so we're going to take a few minutes. I think in about a minute we're going to take a minute or two. So I want to just leave you with that thought because what we need to do is how do I want to have one more question in terms of how do you recruit and who are your facilitators? What are their backgrounds? And then we'll go into the sponsorships. Oh, you want me to answer that? Yes. Uh huh. That's a very easy question. Anybody who's interested in being a volunteer is welcome to call the office and we do a, a phone interview um, then and just determine, you know, let them, we can tell them more how we do it. Our, our, all of our staff, other than the, the whole, all the peer groups are volunteer facilitators. We do a very intensive training. Uh, it's a two-day training that we do for these people when we have enough people to make a group. I just finished doing a training about two weekends ago for, I think we now have eight new facilitators. And, um, all the, the, the requirements are that they have a huge heart and they have the ability to listen and not talk. Because, And I can go into that more after the break. Exactly. By not talk. I mean, not feel that they have the answers. Just because let them, let the children talk. The right. You can let the children talk. Okay. So what we're going to yeah. do is I'm going to turn your sound off. I'm going to. Turn on our background, our theme music. KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. You're listening to the Nurse Practitioner Show. And my name is Mary Margaret Baker, and I'm the Nurse Practitioner. We're taking a small break. Our guest today is Brooke Brown. She's the founder and former executive director for Nakeo Amalia. 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 That's such a beautiful name. I don't want to say Amalia is the name. So it's a great group, and we're going to be right back with you. Pacific Medical Group at 95 Lono Avenue in Kahului is the proud sponsor of the Nurse Practitioner Show on KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. That can be heard on Mondays at 2 p.m. and again at 11 a.m. on Saturdays. Pacific Medical Group has chiropractors who specialize in the management and prevention of work-related injuries. 
For more information and list of potential services, please call 808-873-0733. Do you have something to say but can't find an outlet? Did you know that Akaku offers a service called Open Mic? Here, you can come in and make a statement on any topic you want, and it's free. Play a song you wrote, recite a monologue, do a funny dance, comment on a recent event. The floor is yours. Come speak your mind for free. Appointments are available Mondays and Wednesdays between 1 and 3. Call 871-5554 today to reserve your spot. Saturday night at 8 and Sunday night at 9 on KAKU 88.5 FM, we experience dead air. Not that kind of dead air. We're talking Grateful Dead. Grateful Dead music for an entire hour. Saturday night at 8 and Sunday night at 9 with me, Corey Daniels, on KAKU 88.5 FM. Hi, I'm Jason Schwartz, host of The Neutral Zone. KAKU is a listener-supported station. This means that all of the great programs you hear, like mine, are sponsored by you as well as our underwriters. If you would like to help keep the voice of Maui talking loud and clear, go to kakufm.org slash donate today and give. And don't miss the Neutral Zone Mondays at 11 a.m. on 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. This is how we do every day. If you love them enough to turn off your music and pretend like their music is your music. Ah, oh, this is mommy's jam. Then surely you'll check NHTSA.gov slash the right seat to make sure they're in the right car seat. Let's play it again. Check today at NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Act Council. Here we are back again at KAKU 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. And with me today, I have Brooke Brown. She's the farmer, the former founder and former executive director of a wonderful organization that is called Nakei O Amalia. And I, that's such a beautiful name. I know I keep mispronouncing it. But what, what we're going to do... Let's see, make sure I'm the right. Okay, here we are. Hello. Are, there you are. Okay. It worked. It yeah, worked. I, I, I want to correct one thing, Mary Margaret, which is it sounds like to me, and I can't tell, maybe it's the phone, but it sounds like you're saying na, K-E-O-M-O-L-E-A. It's na, and it's keiki, which means children. Na, keiki, O Emilia. Emilia's children. Right. No, I know that. I may be mispronouncing. Okay, it's not coming. It's you. not coming through then. Okay. Okay, thank I'm you for it. bringing that up because it is about yep. children and it is for children. It's a program. Yep. That started when? Remind me again when it started. Twenty fourteen. Uh, Twenty fifteen. We got our designation from the five hundred one c three, and the first group started in two thousand sixteen. And we've we've worked with now about three hundred and thirty individuals. So. Wow. And, you know, another number that's really amazing, you know, when you asked earlier, why is a, a, an organization dedicated to this? Right now, there are an estimated 2,200 children under the age of 18 who've had a parent or a sibling die. Here in Maui or? It- Maui County. Maui County. Wow. 
Yeah, but there's a need. Staggering. There and is that, a need. And that's and that and that's not the ohana. And now with this, you know, coronavirus situation, uh, it's going to be Nakakio and Leah is going to be needed more than ever. Unfortunately, I, I I hope not, but I think it. I think that you know, if every everything's pointing that way, like you know, our services are going to be needed. Yes, and, exactly. Um, one of the thing one of the things that we're doing right now is looking at how we can deliver our, on our mission under these current circumstances. Exactly. That's and, exactly, um, yeah. Terry Irwin is the new executive director, and she, right now, she's looking into using technology as a way of communicating so that the kids can continue these relationships and other kids can join in and, you know, all supervised, you know, and, I mean, you asked about the volunteers also, um, we train them intensely, and before any volunteer is allowed to work with the children, uh, they must go through a background check. They're fingerprinted and background checked through the FBI and the state, and then they can be in the groups with the children. So we do a very thorough screening from that standpoint. Now, how do you, how do you fund this? What kind of fundraising and what kind of Thank costs you. do you have? Thank you for asking. We have, uh, we're totally dependent on private donations, be they individual, uh, corporate, or grants, private grants. We, we do not go, we do not get any county, state, or federal money. In other words, we have, we have been completely private, uh, doing this. And so we have been very blessed. As I said, there's been a lot of grace and we have some very strong supporters. Chris Christopherson being one of them, who for two years, this past uh, October, and then two years before that in February, has donated his concert benefits here on Maui at the MAC to us. That's been a huge help, and um, that's been a big thing. And then every year in June, Emilia's birthday was June 19th, and we have an online fundraiser called Emilia's Table. And it has been an auction, so it's been a virtual fundraiser, and we've raised money doing, you know, auctioning um, meals and experiences. Sounds so great. So other than that, and then, you know, at the end of the year, we send it a mailing, but it's been, we're just word of mouth, and we're just hoping that more people will start to remember us in their their wills and, you know, and, and all the above. as people, all the above, yeah, because it, it's, it's a really important thing, and you know one of, one of the good things is we're not competing for a slice of the same pie. You know we offer a unique piece. Nobody else is helping these kids, and it's really important because we want them to go on and lead happy, fulfilling lives as members of the Maui community, you know, and, and just be happy people. So rather than, you know, sad, scarred, yeah, sad and, and wounded, disturbed. Yeah. Because as I was starting yeah. to say before, a friend of mine had a five-year-old son and he and his wife got divorced. And I know this five-year-old boy who's now in his 30s. And, you know, with all of this that happened, he felt because of, he was five years old that he felt it was his fault that his parents yep. were getting divorced. And his, yep. I followed him throughout his whole Growing up and getting involved with smoking weed and 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 go, drinking alcohol and missing school and 
you know, then he got You've married and had two boys and then got divorced. And then he was an alcoholic. And you've seen uh, it. You, I've seen exactly. it personally. And, and, and what yep. he had to do is get clean and sober and, uh, you know, really take care of himself, start really being a good father to his sons. But it goes back yeah. to the fact when he was five and his parents got divorced. That's no, I, exactly I knew- what I saw in my practice, Mary Margaret, yeah. exactly that kind of thing. And I went, no, I don't want this, you know, for my grandson. And plus, the other thing is, Emilia was, well, she loved Maui, and she was involved in paddling, and she had lots of friends here. And when she was ill, this Maui community was so awesome in terms of supporting her and helping us, her family, her husband, J.B. Gard. And, you know, they were just wonderful. And so it seemed to me it was a way of, again, paying it back or paying it forward, you know, to, to help others to get something like this going. And, um, now, how old but is, it is your son now? My grandson is now nine. Nine. And how is he doing? He's doing extremely well. He's doing very, very well. And he, he, he's a perfect one to, to mention in that he, he and his dad came to one of the groups early on. He was then four, I think, when we had those groups, four or five, four-year-olds, I think, I forget, um, when you know, he came to one of the first groups. But then um, he stopped after a bit, mainly because of scheduling problems in terms of, you know, his his dad is a fireman and that makes it hard. And, you know, different family members would bring him out. It made it hard. But he seemed to be doing fine. And he does seem to be doing fine now. And I am totally not. I talked to him the other day and I said, by the way, you know, you're always welcome to come back to a Nakiki group anytime you want to come back. And it could be that he'll be fine until he's going to get, you know, let's say there's first father-daughter, I mean, mother-son dance at school. Or, you know, who knows what triggers these birthday, things. birthday, his mom's but, birthday. Yeah. yeah. Well, so far he's been okay, but there could be a birthday when he's not okay. Right. You know, so that's when it's, it's nice not to have a time duration limit on this, you know, where kids can come back. Yes, I think that makes it very special uh, that there, there isn't just, okay, you can come for 10 weeks. I think that mm-hmm. makes it very different and extremely helpful to children who are you know, going the, through grieving. The other, thing, the other thing that, you know, we haven't really talked about how we really roll in the groups. And the, the groups themselves range in time. At schools, it depends how much time the school can give us. They, they're very, they try to give us the most time they can, but it's like when they have an available room at an available time. So oh, we so now are you're totally doing this flexible. Are you still doing well, it? Well, we're, we're, no, we're closed. We, we just hit the pause button because of the virus. Oh, I but see. But we, okay. we, we've been in schools. We've, we've had, I don't know, 10, 12 groups this past year. It, wow. I mean, we've been in about eight different schools this past year. Two groups at Maui High. We've been at Baldwin, at Paia Elementary, at Kamehameha, Iao Middle School. You know, and, you know, we had a group at Kihei Charter and at Pukalani. We've, you know, we're, we're at a lot of schools. And, um, I see. But now we, we've hit the pause button because right, of what's because going, what's going, what's on, going no on. But but the groups generally, um, and like the evening group at hospice, we have a format, and it's always the same, where we start in a circle. But the thing that's so beautiful is that the kids are asked to say their name, and they know that there's a confidentiality rule, so that what's said in the room stays in the room. 
So that even if you brought your child and you asked, yes, and if you asked me afterwards, well, how did Mary do? I'd say, you know, Mary Margaret, you've got to ask Mary on the way home. I'm, you know, short of being mandated reporters, we're not, we're not breaching confidentiality. And we're trying to promote inter, you know, intra-family dialogue. And so the kids will start off, we ask that they say their name and why they are there. In other words, who died? And that really orients their psyches and them towards why they're there. And then after that, they don't have to say anything. If they wanted to come for months and not say anything more than their name and the name of the person who died, they could do it. In other words, there's no demand on them. They could just listen, 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 and they do listen to each other. Now, the, now and they know this in advance. When, they know this little, kind of this little... Yep, uh, yep, yep. We send those rules out to the parent. It's in the information pack. And then after, and of course it depends on the age group, but after it, it, we might, the facilitator might throw something out like, well... How, how was it this year at Christmas without your person there? How, you know, how did you, how did you handle it? Or what was it hard or what, you know, just ask them an open-ended question and the dialogue might take off. And, you know, we ask open-ended questions. We don't put a, any child on the spot. And then let's say that little kids, they're moving machines, you know, they're not built to sit still very long. So we have games and we have different activities. And we might branch off with them and do something like that. If we're doing crafts, it entails glue or making memory boxes or drawings and things like this. But the activities all are grief-related. So it might be draw a picture of, a, of your loved one's favorite meal, you know, something like this. You know, just something that, again, gives them the opportunity or draw a picture of the last time you saw them or whatever. In other words, it's an opportunity for them. And then after they do that, if they choose to share the picture with the group, when they've come back to the group, they can. Otherwise, you know, they don't have to talk about it. So that it's really a child can proceed. A child doesn't have to be the focus of attention. Some kids like to be. Some kids are quiet by nature. And other kids, you know, just chatty hatties, you know. but exactly. yeah, it's very individual. And, and so what you're saying is they it's who, can be who they it's are. who you are, and the, and the, the rules group. that we have are for no, basically being respectful to other people. In other words, no name-calling, no saying, oh, that's stupid, no giving advice unless you're asked for advice, things like this. And just basic courtesy and respect rules, and it works beautifully, Mary Margaret. It really, you can see it's so... It gives me goose flesh as I'm telling you this. Kids will walk into the group sometimes, and they'll they'll be sort of shuffling, and you know their posture's kind of stooped, and they're not happy campers. Like oh, you know maybe they they feel like their mom made them come tonight or whatever. No, they shuffle in. But when they leave an hour and a half later, they're standing up tall, they're laughing, they're smiling. You know, it's like a different child leaves. It's incredible, and we've had some feedback from some parents who have said that they have the most amazing uh, conversations driving home after the group. And part of that is because the kids know that their parents are being taken care of, so they don't have to worry about burdening their parents. Just as you said earlier. When you're in the schools, are the parents also part of a different... No, No. that's the downside. That is the downside. 
but our our attitude is at least we're reaching the kids. Yeah. So let you me know, see so if I have this. You have how many meetings in the evening at Maui Hospice a week? Or you we did? don't we don't have any meeting. Our our own. Oh, let me start again. Our evening meeting is only at Hospice Maui. Right. And wh- how many times a week? We meet. We meet. We meet once every two weeks. Okay, and in that timing of Hospice Maui, in the evening, there's a kids' group and a parents' group. Correct. Correct, and that's once, twice a month, let's just say. Correct. Okay. Then, during yeah, and, the school and, day, and we were doing a group for the littles and a group for the older ones, but right now the census is down with the littles, so right now we're just doing it for the seven-year-olds and older. But okay. if we get a bunch of people who have... You know, six-year-olds and five-year-olds or four-year-olds will start the, the younger group up again. Okay. And then with the, the schools, yeah. it, it usually it's once every two weeks. But there's some schools that have asked us if we would be there on a weekly basis, which now we have how done. Long, that is after the school day or in a... No, no. it's, during, it's the during the school day. Yep. And then you have a room and you have your facilitator and... No, and and facilitators, plural. We always have, in the school groups, we always have two facilitators. Okay, And at Hospice Maui, we have a minimum of of three facilitators. Okay, so that's giving me a clear picture. With the the children's groups, with the adults' groups, we can have two. But we always have two facilitators. Okay, which is good. And yes. do they have And you want to. I mean with the younger ones you, you you know, if they have to use the bathroom, you want a facilitator to escort them. In other words, our job is to keep these kids safe. Exactly. Physically and emotionally. So that's our job. So we need enough manpower, women power to do it. Right. And most of your uh facilitators are women. Is that nope. correct? No. Well, okay. actually if if you if you did an actual count, yes. Most of them are women, but we have quite a few men. And that is absolutely fabulous. It's great to have the men. Ideally, like when we can send people to a school, it's great to have one of each sex. It's, it's great because, as I'd said, a lot of times the person who's died is a man. And it, it's, it's really been wonderful to have the men who are our facilitators are solid, good, good people. They're just fine people. And to have them modeling what a, a healthy man, man is who can cry, who can allow himself to be vulnerable, who's strong, you know, just all these wonderful characteristics. It's really good and who's kind and attentive because some of these kids, sadly, have not been treated well by the male who died. I you see know, and I understand. Just, I read the paper. You know, these yeah, it, things it, happen. It breaks your heart. Right. It breaks your heart. So it's really, I mean, to have these wonderful male models, I think, is just a fantastic side benefit. You know, I mean, it's just, it's really good. Now, okay. And you know, the, the, the other thing that's really wonderful, Mary Margaret, is I, I think that, I mean, this wasn't what we started off aiming for, but the quality of attention these kids get in our groups from the facilitators who are there to listen and attend to the kids is unlike what many of anything what, that many of them ever experience otherwise, because many of them come from homes where the surviving parent is holding two, at least two jobs, and they've got lots of other kids in the family, 
And so there's no time for them to really get attention. And we've had kids talk about how, you know, their parents say, no, 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 you get a job as soon as you're 16. You don't need to finish school and things like this, you know. And so they're not getting attention where people are really drawing them out and listening to them. And so there's a tremendously therapeutic value just in the quality just of attention the they get in the being listening listened to, the child. I think. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So in regards to the men and women, and you have the trainings, now that we're out of school, how will you proceed? How long is, are people out of school here in Maui? Just for the week? Or? We don't know. The, we don't the, know. Well, the, the DOE has announced they're closed. This week is their spring break, right. and they've announced that they're going to be closed next week. But that's the only official word that we've seen. So far. Frankly, yeah, so far. I wouldn't be surprised if the schools are closed for the rest of the school year, but that's just my guess. Totally right. an uneducated guess. Well, like in so California. In terms, how, we, how we proceed is going to be what Terry can come up with, tech, you know, with technology. Right. Can we do right. online groups somehow? Where, again, that's going to be a problem because not everybody has a, a computer, computer at home. And I'm not a techie type, so I don't know if people can participate um, I think they can participate from a cell phone. I'm not sure. I hope so, I because that can, way maybe again, there could be some, some sort of. You saw yeah, this there might be some experience. sort of an online group that they could participate in, um, uh, technologically. But that's that's beyond my pay grade, so <laughs> I can't answer that right now. So, in terms of, so the what are the main things? Just list about four or five things that you think. What are the methods of helping, and what is the outcomes for? Uh, facilitator, what are the, uh, you know, the way they help is they listen, and what are some other ways they help? Asking open-ended questions. They, they listen. That they, they ask open-ended questions. They listen. They they hold the space so that the kids feel comfortable just knowing that they aren't going to be called names or they're not going to be, you know, mocked or made fun of. Respected, exactly. Um, they... That's pretty much it. That sounds like you know, a I mean, good start. I mean, you know, and other things may come of it depending on the individual because, group. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, the, the content of these groups, Mary Margaret, is, it's participant-driven. So that let's say a child says, ask me a question. I'm not, it's not, it, I might have an answer, but that's not the point, and it's not for me to give that answer. Rather, as a facilitator, I'm going to say, hey, has anybody else in the group had this experience? And let them talk. Let them talk or I might say, well, what, is, what do other people in the group think? You know, and, and, and again, they, they've been told to answer in their own experience. They can only speak for themselves. But that's the way it goes. And it, it's just amazing how the, the, what comes out. It's just it's so incredible. And Kids, people, well, like that people will say program. Kids say the darndest things. Yeah. There's such wisdom. But, I mean, it, it's, it's deep. It's heavy-duty stuff. Heavy I mean, and the, the, a lot of them are talking about. And it's like, whoa. And I'm, I'm so glad that they were able to give voice to it because that's a heck of a thing to be carrying inside as a child. Right. And that's, you know, that's concern or worry. It's like, access. whoa. Now, what's ahead? For the Nakeki program, what do you mean? What's ahead? What's what ahead in, in terms the of 
plans for anything dis- expanding? Uh, oh, well, right now the plan is, is the immediate future in terms of whether we can, you know, how we deliver our mission right now. And as I said, Terry's looking into technology. Right. Yeah. And as soon as we're able to resume groups, we will definitely resume groups. Uh, we have a we had a uh, school workshop planned um, that three of us were going to be doing, and then we didn't get the enrollment we hoped to. Um, so we're going to try that again because what we want to do is educate the educators so that they're more aware of what children's grief is and the importance of addressing it. Because what we have found is that some of the students at some of the schools are not, um, they're not getting what they need, and they're not getting what they need because the, the, the counselors or the teachers there don't understand what they need. Or what For the instance, behaviors are showing. They went, See that, Pardon? Or what the behavior that they're they're having? Yeah, I mean, when when really. when you or I, I'll tell you, after Emilia died, my brain was not a normal brain for several months. By that I mean I couldn't remember a thing, and I and I have a good memory. I it was like my brain felt sick, and it's like kids after of any age. After they've, they, when they're grieving, their brains are the same way. They, it, so that when you get to the schoolwork time, they can't do a test in a normal amount of time. They can't, they don't get their homework. They can't focus. They can't concentrate, which is really normal. And if they're not given, I mean, I look at grieving students as special needs students, meaning they have some special needs and the schools don't seem to be aware of them. Right. For the most part, some schools are, true. but they need to be made accommodations so that they can have extensions for their homework or longer time to take a test, things like this. Yes. So we're looking at trying to educate the schools more. That's one thing. And ultimately, way, you know, way down the line, you know, it would be wonderful to have a place of our own in central Maui, like maybe somebody would sometime donate a big old home to us or something like that where we could have our own center and not go to the schools, but have you know, people coming to us, at which point we could then work out programs where we could get the families from Lanai and Molokai and Hana involved and help them too, because they have huge losses on the other islands as well. Exactly. So, I mean, there, there's nothing but growth ahead for Nakekio and Malia. I'm so and, happy to yeah. hear that. Now I have one more question. We're getting ready to, we have a couple more minutes. And what I'd like to have you tell people is how can someone get, who is interested get involved? What do they need to do? What they, all they need to do is call 808-214-9832, which is the Nakekio Amalia phone number, or they can email contact at nkoemaui.org. Okay, and let's just, repeat that because I want to go very slow because some people okay. may be just tuning in at the very last minute. This will yep. be repeated on Saturday from 11 to 12. And it, I think Great. what I like to do is be sure that we give away for people to contact if they want to get involved. They have a child with a loss that needs help that would be a perfect addition in the program once their openings and their availability for that to happen. So, yep. Nakeki O'Amalia, N A 
K-E-K-I-O. No, 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 no. K-E-I-K-I. K-E-I-K-I-O, separate word, Amalia. 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 E-M-A-L-I-A. Now, that's N-K-O-E. So... Then repeat yeah. the so, uh, website for yeah. contacts. Yeah, so that the the they can be emailed. Our website is nkoemaui dot org, and they can email contact at nkoemaui dot org, or they may phone Terry Irwin at eight zero eight two one four. Nine eight three two. Perfect. Now Terry T E R R I E R W I N is the current executive director, and she would yep. be the person that you would would need to hear from you, if you, in the audience. Exactly. And if you exactly. have a child that may need help, has lost somebody, maybe you're the grandparent, you're trying to find some help for your grandchild. Yep. That's the person to contact. Well, that's Brooke exactly Brown, right. Okay, we're perfectly on time. I'm going to say thank you, Brooke Brown, the founder and former executive director. Let's see if I can get this right. For Nakei, Keiki. Nakei, yeah. oh, Emily. You got it. Emilia. Now you got it. Yeah. <laughs> I finally it. took Thank you, Mary Margaret. Thank you so Brooke. much. Appreciate you being with me on the phone and are working through the little bumps and We're we're very grateful for the the help because we want people in the community to know we exist because we want to help more and more children. Exactly. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Bye. Bye. K-E-K-K-U-K. Wait a minute. (laughs) K-A-K-U. Kaku, 88.5 FM, the voice of Maui. Thank you. A repeat of this show will be on Saturday from 11 to 12. Thank you so much for listening. We've had a great show. It was our first time doing this with a telephone interview. So there you go. New technology everywhere you look. Aloha.